it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 153. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to go back to the archives and we're going to pick out some questions. Uh, we got some great questions we, recently and we have had some great guests, so we haven't had a chance to answer them, but we're going to answer them tonight. So we have three of them we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. I'm going to go ahead and read the first question and Andrew will go ahead and give his answer and we'll kind of do our little good give and take. So here we go. So I work for Walmart Logistics and they offer a company stock option. If I buy $1,800 worth of stock in a year and they match me $300, I own about 13 shares before I ever really started taking investing seriously. Putting Walmart in the VTI, I got a number in the mid 400s. Do you think this money is better off somewhere else or do you feel that extra $300 off sets a lackluster VTI score? Andrew, what are your thoughts on his question? So just to give some perspective to new listeners, when... The, re- the listener is talking about VTI. That is a formula I created called the value trap indicator. Basically, it takes the financials from a company and spits out a numerical value based off of that. Um, if it's low versus if it's high, that signals, um, for example, if it's above 800, then that signals a strong sell. So at the mid 400s, that's um, relatively high for a stock. So to, I guess there can be two different parts to this question. The first part, getting company stock options in general, it's a good thing to participate in, particularly if they're giving you any sort of match. So a $300 match on $1,800 of stock, that's like a 16.6% return right off the bat. You could find that in the stock market, but I don't think most of us can find that reliably consistently over and over and over again. Particularly when you consider that over this great economic boom we've had in the United States over the last 100 years, since about the 1910s and 1920s, the average stock market return has been around 10% a year. So you're getting higher than that just from the company match. So I would take advantage as, as much as you financially comfortably can. And, you know, even if you, 
have a stock that you feel is suboptimal compared to a different stock you'd maybe like to buy, that 16% difference is is huge. And I think that's 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 the bigger win there, in my opinion. I would agree with that. And I, I think uh, anytime, like Andrew said, you can get free money from your employer to invest even in your own company, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of a no-brainer to me. I guess the question I would ask is, he's asking if he can use that three hundred dollars somewhere else. So is that an option that they're offering him? So that would be something I guess I would want to investigate. I know that when I worked for Wells Fargo, they would match up to six uh, percent of whatever we invested. So that was an additional. So if I put in. Uh, money, then they would match up to 6%. So that was something I set up immediately. And that was a fantastic offer for me. So I, I, I was a big fan. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not too sure on that. I'm sure every company is different. Back in the days when I had one of those um, available to me, it was, I would get the match in company stock and then, but you had to, there was like a six month period where you had to wait until you could sell. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in that case, if you're maybe taking the match and then and then investing elsewhere, I think that's a good policy too. But to to say you're just gonna not take advantage because you maybe I misinterpreted the question, but you know I would you know you you can start getting down the path of like, well, do I want to hold stock in the company I own because you you can get in the situation where if you have all of your money in the company and then your jobs with that company, and then if you're like 401k is in that company and if that company goes bust, you could be just see, you know, years and years and years of, of your work disappear from that. Um, that's something to consider. I also think when it comes to making a decision on, let's say I have, I own a stock, I'm looking to, think about whether I want to replace it or not with something else. I think there needs to be something fundamentally about the stock that you're selling that's giving you a reason for selling. And then there should be a fundamental reason on the stock you're buying that's giving you a reason to buy. And so just because a stock is cheap doesn't mean you should buy it. Just because a stock is expensive doesn't mean you should sell it. Uh, you should really be looking at the underlying business and something about the numbers in the business or something about the business in general should be making that decision and not so much what it's doing in the market. Yeah, that's a that's the perfect answer. And I would 100% agree with that. And uh, that kind of segues into the uh, next question that uh, we got. So, uh, hi, I'm an e-letter subscriber and listen to the podcast. I noticed that you sold CCL or Carnival Cruise Lines in the portfolio. Before doing much research, I purchased some shares of it at $12.30 with plans just to wait it out to do the same with GM and Ford all of which have cut their dividends. In your opinion, should someone just hold on to these or sell? <laughs> well, okay. So yes, I sold Carnival Cruise Lines and, you know, in light of the coronavirus and something that, you know, obviously I, I, this isn't a two-way conversation, so I can't know exactly how everybody who's listening feels. Based off how I interpret the narrative around a lot of investors who are active online and are um, picking individual stocks, it seems to me that 
a lot of investors are kind of in denial about the fact that we've had a huge fundamental change in potentially consumer behavior um, for quite a while, I think. And, and, you know, maybe this is something I'm completely wrong about. Um, but I think certain pockets. So let me be clear. I think we're going to have an economic recovery. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what the timeline for that is. But I think certain pockets of the economy are not going to recover nearly as well as others are. I mean, you're seeing a lot of technology companies and things that keep us interconnected and keep us able to work from home. A lot of those are are still doing very well in, in the market and have bounced nicely from the last kind of crash we had in March. And, you know, the grocery and food stocks kind of have rallied and, and caught in some steam. Anything really contributing to that trend has done really well in the past month and a half, let's say. And so, you know, on the flip side of that, you have other stocks that have obviously been hammered, things like cruise lines, hotels, airlines, things that we've talked about on the podcast pretty regularly, I think, to now. But things where it seems like behaviors have changed for at least for a while. I mean, I remember when the the whole fiasco started out and you know the first the first thing that really made coronavirus real to me was when there was an announcement that the NBA was canceling their season and that just seems so out of left field and then as more and more people started to you know people with influence started to make these decisions now all of a sudden you had a shutdown situation but even with a shutdown and even with everything it was all understood that things would be temporary. And I remember still going out in public and not really seeing many like masks around. And then lately I feel like everybody looks at me if I'm not wearing a mask because I'm like the black sheep out in public. And so, you know, this is after recording this in the middle of May, towards the end of May. This is after a lot of things have reopened. And like you, you still see at least in my little anecdotal situation of where I'm driving around and and you know going to the grocery store and things like that. I think you still see a lot of different things, different behaviors. I mean, it's still kind of hard to find toilet paper. It's hard to find hand sanitizer. I still can't get any disinfectant wipes. So, you know, cer- certain things have changed. I think. You know, we do have sports coming back. Baseball sounds like it could be making a comeback. But at the same time, you know, how many people are going to get on a cruise ship where air recirculates all around you? And that place was notoriously bad at not even telling people that were on the ship that there's people who are sick and then not letting them leave the ship. And so, you know, places and things that, in you know, kind of incubate a virus spread potential i think these things should be considered and you should understand that if a business's revenue streams are completely shut down with these cruise lines we still don't know when they're going to be allowed to sail so 
when that's a situation, what's a business if it's not making money? I think you need to take a hard look and realize that when the world's changing around you, you need to look at certain things differently. You're not changing your perception on everything, but you're looking at it closely and you're being honest with yourself. And I think a lot of investors who don't want to sell, they don't want to take that loss and they don't want to accept it. And that's why I say it's it's almost a denial thing. You don't want to accept the loss because now that loss is real. If you if you hang on to the shares, then you feel like, well, maybe it can bounce back and maybe it can you know recover. And sure, maybe it can, but at the same time, there's so many great businesses out there right now who are not dealing with this in any way. And so even if you if you took if you looked at investing like a race, and I know this is probably a terrible analogy, but if you had two people running a race and it was a race where you're you're getting compound interest. So let's say you run a little bit at four miles an hour, and then the longer you run at four, now you can run at five and six and seven. And so you take like a compounding interest race like that, and you have one business that's just kind of cruising along like it's always done, and then another business where it goes backwards, and so it's starting at like negative two miles an hour, and then it has to somehow get to a decent speed and then start to accelerate. And so it finally does accelerate, but by the time it's done that, the the other race... Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. 
Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You know, the other person running the race is already at 100 miles an hour. So I think when we allocate capital, those are types of decisions that need to be made. And it's, it's a tough decision. I struggled with the decision for sure. But the fact that they've never announced a dividend ever since this whole thing went down, they've always announced them regularly. So you're not getting an income from this. You're holding on to these these expensive assets, which are these huge ships. And you know, generally that's okay, but if this if the asset's not making money, it's not very valuable. And so that's the situation they're at. And the fact that so many behaviors have changed and even with things reopening up, a lot of those behaviors are sticking. And so that makes a good recovery for cruise ships. I just don't see it happening. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not I'm not willing to risk any more money on being proven wrong. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, that's a that's a great answer. And I a hundred percent agree with you. The the behaviors are not They may change, but I think it's going to be slow. And I think about some of the things that you were talking about. For example, I don't know how you feel, but I know that when I go to the grocery store, I feel an un, I feel pressure to do things quickly that I don't want to be there and I want to go. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody around me feels the same anxiety going on. And I think about places like restaurants. Uh, I was listening to uh, one of our favorite podcasts, Money Show, and they were talking about restaurants. And I think they were right on the mark when they were talking about this. I think what's going to happen is is that places like a Chipotle or a McDonald's or uh, Popeye's or some of those places that are more fast casual kinds of places are going to rebound much faster than places that you go and sit down and have a half an hour to an hour and a half type meal because of the anxiety level of the people are still feeling. Eventually, I think that will change. But I think initially, I think it's going to be a long, long road to hoe for those kinds of businesses. So I think about a, a restaurant like Capital Grill. You go to the Capital Grill, you're not in and out in a place like that. There, you're there for an hour to two hours, depending on your meal. And I just think that a place like that, people are going to feel such anxiety. Of course, there's going to be people that are going to go there. But I think to expect them to do 300 covers, which means 300 people on a Saturday like they were doing three months ago, I think is unrealistic. And for that to go back to normal immediately, I think is unrealistic. And so as this gentleman in the e-letter is, I think having to take those, like Andrew was saying, having to take those considerations into your thoughts when you're thinking about a company, uh, things have fundamentally changed with Carnival Cruise Lines, for example. They're not having customers. They're not anticipating customers in the short term. And I think those are things that have to help form your decision when you make a decision about keeping the company or selling the company. 
if the stock goes down and everything else does the same, then okay, maybe you hang on to it. But when things have fundamentally changed in the business, then those are when you have to start asking your, yourself questions like, do I see this rebounding? When do I see this rebounding? Thinking about even just in your whatever circle it is that you you run in, think about how people are behaving now and then extrapolate that to, hey, the states are opening up and we can start going back and doing those things. What are the things you're really wanting to do? Are, are you really wanting to run out and, and get on a cruise and go for a cruise, you know, locked up with people in a, for a week or two? I know I personally don't. Uh, would I like to go sit in a restaurant? Yeah, I would love to, but will I? Probably not for a while, uh, just because I just don't feel comfortable doing that. And it's not about the fear mongering and everything that's been going on in the news. It's just more about my behavior has changed and it's more prudent of me. I'm diabetic. And so I have to be cognizant of that in my health and other people around me. So I have to be cognizant of that, but it changes my behavior and my thought pattern. And so those are the things you have to take into consideration when you're thinking about buying or selling a company is what is when you're going to sell the company like Andrew was talking about. Yeah. He, he realized that things have fundamentally changed about the company and that's what caused him you know he has rules about dividends but also the company has changed their thought patterns and and what's happening with the business i was having the same thoughts about disney with them shutting down the parks you know the movie theaters shutting down all the revenue completely stopping and that fundamentally changes the business now will they go back to business i think they will be a while they were say four months ago I, I just, I think that those things are all going to take time. And I think those are things you have to, to consider into your equation when you're making a decision. That's actually a perfect example. And it shows, I think, okay, it's a perfect example because when you take a business model like Disney, yeah, they have the parks and, you know, obviously they have the movies that people aren't going to movie theaters, but at the same time, they also own ESPN they also now have Disney Plus. They also have ABC. You know, they have a ton of other businesses that are still making money for them. And so, are their earnings going to be dramatically lower next year compared to what they're used to? Probably, yeah. Um, at the same time, they still have other things keeping them afloat. With with something like Carnival Cruise Lines, they're a hundred percent. If they're not sailing, they're not making money, right? And so you can argue all day long about what the recovery is going to look like, whether we're going to have a vaccine or not. But, you know, when you really dig into the numbers and you look at Carnival situation, you looked at their liquidity. So they had a great balance sheet when they had ships that were sailing, but you know, certain balance sheets are different based off of the business model. And so cruise lines and, and, um, airlines, they have, uh, ships and planes, and so, you know, either they're going to have to sell those off if they don't have enough cash or they're going to have to borrow a lot. And in the case of Carnival, they they took on quite a bit of debt just to survive this short term um, in addition to having to do a lot of other things. And so you have to look at the numbers too and understand, get context on it. What, what's the scale of these numbers? What does that mean for, for the business? $2 billion to one business is peanuts. $2 billion to another is half of their um, you know, bottom line. So just 
take taking all those things into consideration, it just it didn't look good for Carnival. I think they can rebound one day, possibly. It, it could happen, but I'm not I'm not throwing my money away like that on a on a possible. I would rather see things that I'm more comfortable owning and and feel better about the business model moving forward, the liquidity situation and you know how affected certain businesses are from either short-term trends or long-term trends or both. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's uh, I think that's the the perfect answer for that. So, all right. He asks about GM and Ford, you know, we kind of taken two extremes. How would you look at an automaker like them um, considering they also cut their dividend? Uh, that's boy, that's, those are, those are good questions. And I will, I will say this. I don't know that much about the auto industry. Uh, aside from the fact that it is very competitive and that is extremely difficult to be in. And when labor unions are involved, uh, costs are going to be higher on the payroll side of things. And that's really about all I would know about that. Now, the fact that they have they cut their dividend or have they just stopped it for the time period that he didn't mention, and I haven't looked at either of those. That's that's okay. that's that's a big difference too. Yeah, it is. I, I guess with GM and Ford, I think it's a bit of a different situation because I don't I don't necessarily know that their business has has generally fundamentally changed in the way that carnival has for example i know that they were still selling cars during this whole period i know the car sales were down quite a bit uh i believe that a lot of the i'll, I'll shed some light the vehicle sorry shut. I don't... so yeah shed some light shed some <laughs> light yes. no, no. so um i think it was ihs market or one of one of the big um kind of consultants that look at these industries they're forecasting about a 25% drop in manufacturing for autos um, in the coming quarter. So, you know, something something kind of quantifiable where we can look at, um, okay, we're expected lower demand in the short term. I think that's kind of across the board, no matter what industry you look at. Going back to like this comparison again with, with somebody like Carnival, they might not have a demand buildup. I mean, yeah, maybe psychologically everybody wishes they were on vacation right now, but at the same time, you know, that's different from I needed a car yesterday. And so maybe people who held off on buying a car for three months, you know, there's more of a, a demand rebound versus like, well, you know, it's not like I'm taking three vacations to make up for one lost vacation. So maybe there's some of that involved. I would, I would, uh, if, if it was a, a situation where I held on to like a GM or a Ford and I was, and I knew enough about, you know, it, you, you got to have like good data that tells you why somebody would prefer this brand over that brand, right? And what's the competitive advantage and all those things. Um, if I was somebody who felt that way, I think. This, I think there are two different scenarios, and I think there's more resiliency with something like an auto industry versus something that's 
leisure and hospitality. I mean, the jobs report came out a few weeks ago and an overwhelming majority of the jobs were in leisure and hospitality. So I think what that can kind of indicate for the rest of the economy is, you know, these managements know better than everybody. If they have to cut costs, that means they're really struggling. I think leisure and hospitality, um, it was something like up to 67% maybe of the jobs lost so far. So that's a huge, huge indicator, I think, for a lot of us that this isn't going to be a very fair recovery, and I don't think it's going to be very even. And so these are considerations, again, considerations to think about. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that's great. So I'll, I'll, get, I'll give it a read, if you don't mind. Okay. Nope, I don't mind. So, hey, Andrew and Dave, I'm currently on episode 70 of your podcast, picking up a lot of good intel thanks to you guys. Brand new in the investing world, and I'm soaking it all in, and I'm hoping to make some smart financial decisions moving forward. 35 years currently, so a little late to the party, but as a local bonsai store says out front, the best time to start growing a bonsai was 40 years ago. The second best time is now. I like that. He says, I feel the same philosophy applies to financial literacy. So he says, I was recently going through Tesla's latest 10K and something I never quite grasped when learning about reading a a company's filings came up in my head again. He says, who audits the 10K, if anyone? I'm more of the financial side that's pretty cut and dry, relatively at least in my mind. So I'll answer that one really quick. It's just um, like an accounting firm and and they'll sign their their company name on the 10Ks. So it's in theory supposed to be independent. Um, I, I don't, I don't mean to say like that there's anything that says it's not, it's just, I didn't mean to be facetious. Okay. Moving on. But the risk factors, for example, now Elon Musk is mentioned as a risk factor in the filing, but the way it is worded is more geared toward him being such an integral part of the operation. He says, now I know that is true, but what is omitted in the explanation of the subheadline is the fact that Elon is a little bit of a loose cannon. It could be strongly argued that Musk's actions on Twitter and in interviews have cost the shareholders money. So having a proven risk in the past and having that risk not mentioned in the risk factors, whose job is that to be like, hey, Tesla, you might want to revisit this section before you submit this? And then finally, or should I be reading the 10K with more of a cynical mind frame? I know it's an investor's relations guide submitted by the company regulated by the SEC, but it seems so trustworthy for lack of a better word. Should I have my guard up when I'm reading these things? Thanks for the advice. What are your thoughts? Well, I think Elon is a bit of a risk. At least he moves the stock prices, that's for sure. Did you see um, his tweet about the stock price? Yeah, being overvalued. (laughs) (laughs) He's like... A bit bit high. (laughs) Yeah. In my opinion, stock looks high. Why yeah. would you? I don't know why you'd say that. I don't either. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I like the the line that uh, he wrote in the, his his letter here. Elon is a little bit of a loose cannon. I think that's probably kind of the understatement of the world. Uh, the comment that you made about him moving the markets is uh, is definitely right on the, right on the money. I mean, but that answers the question a little bit because you know the 10K, these company filings, they're talking about the company and the underlying business, ideally. So while his actions might move the stock price, is that changing the fundamentals of the business? 
you know, the, the core business. I mean, you can argue in Tesla's case, maybe because they tend to dilute a lot of shares. And so if the, the stock price is lower, then they're not getting as much capital for the business when they dilute those shares. But, you know, coming from an investor's kind of hand guide standpoint, maybe it doesn't, it, it, it changes stock prices, but maybe it doesn't change what's going on in the underlying business as much. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And I, uh, at the end where he's asking about, should he read the 10 K with a more cynical mind frame? Here's where I guess I would come. It's going to depend company by company. And I think when you're reading a 10 K, um, you have to think about it from an aspect of, I'm going to put my hard earned money into this company. I want to know as much about this company as I possibly can. And think about it coming at it from an angle of you trying to look for the good things, but you're also trying to look for the things that could trip the company up. And when you think about the CEOs of the company, for example, the majority of them are salespeople. They're charming. They're magnetic. They're encouraging. They're upbeat. They're very good about talking and encouraging people to do things and they're salesmen and that's their job. And when you're thinking about investing in a company, I guess I think less about the CEO's personality and I try to think more about their decision making. And I'm not going to pick on Tesla per se, but when you're thinking about when you're reading a 10K, you really need to focus more on the fundamentals of the business and what's going on with the business. So, for example, a Tesla, how many cars are they making? Are they selling them? Are they making them profitably? What's involved in making the, the, the cars? The Think about the services that they provide beyond the cars. Think about the materials that they need to make the cars. Batteries are obviously a very big integral part of a Tesla. And so thinking about the minerals that go into making a battery and all the different factors that go into assembling a Tesla is completely different than it is when you're assembling a car at GM or Ford, we were talking about earlier. So when you're reading the 10K, your job is so to speak, is to learn as much about the company and be educated enough to understand what are the good things about the company and what are the bad things about the company. Because every company is going to have good and bad. They're not all going to be, everything is awesome. And Tesla has the added, I guess, uh, benefit or curse, depending on who you talk to, of having a CEO that's very much in the public and I think one of the things that Warren Buffett talks a lot about when he talks about management is looking for people that are more about the business and not about themselves. And one of my problems with Tesla is I always feel like Elon Musk is more about, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing, as opposed to how great his vehicle is and how great the company's doing. And all the wild Canon stuff and doing all those things and his job about, Hey, who's Tesla, who, you know, revisit the section. The 10 K is written by the company and he is the CEO. He's also, I think the director of the board of, of directors. And so he has a lot of power and I would imagine there's probably not a lot of people telling him no in the company. And, so whose job is that? 
I guess it could be the investors <laughs> telling them, hey, we don't like what you're doing and bid a stock price down, but the cult of, of Elon allows that to stay stay higher. But again, to go back to it, to, for me, when you're reading the 10K, maybe not cynical, but go into it with a neutral state of mind. Look for reasons you want to buy the company. Look for reasons you want to sell the company. And then you can factor out, you can balance those and make your decision from there. Yeah, I 100% agree. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time out to write some fantastic questions to us. We really enjoy getting those, and it's a lot of fun for us to be able to answer those on the air and hopefully help you guys out a little bit. So if you guys have any do, uh, do have any other questions, please do not hesitate to send them to you to us, and we will take the time to answer them for you guys. So without any further ado, go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.